Hi everyone, welcome to Zoomies, your doggy podcast. I'm Adriana Milne, your local dog trainer from Pet Pals Dog Training. And thank you for joining me this afternoon on Radio Karen. Today I have the pleasure to have here in our studio, Radio Karen, our guest, Yari Castle. Yari and Castle. And Yari runs Yari Castle Dog Training, and she resides in the Denon Ranges. She's been training professionally since 2016. She has always been a strong advocate for using fear-free training methods with our animals, but especially with our dogs. Yari is a certified training partner with the Karen Pryor Academy. Her special interest is with helping reactive dogs, those that bark and lunge, and the humans holding the leash. Yari works at the RSPCA Educational Department as well. She helps training staff, volunteers, and the general public. Welcome, Yari. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. It's rather windy and cold at the moment, but <laughs> otherwise I'm doing excellent. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Yari... Here we have fun, we talk about dogs and our experiences as trainers, but we want to be light, fun and, you know, educational. So I was going to initially start asking you your previous professional background and how did you get involved in dog training? Any experiences with your dogs that you like to share or comment with us? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I got into dog training thanks to a great Dane called Honey, um, <laughs> who I found on the very early stages of YouTube when I was a teenager. <laughs> and I decided that I would one day have a great Dane um, and would also that she would be very well trained like Honey was with clicker training. So fast forward to me um, being at uni, I got my Great Dane. I was like, right, <laughs> and now I need to learn clicker training. Um, and I got involved in a dog training school back in Adelaide called the Canine Behavioural School. Uh, and yeah, it really went from there. I started training my dog, loved the science of it, loved learning about it. They invited me to be part of their junior trainer program. Wow. Um, I moved to Melbourne. I did much more volunteering over here, mm. worked with Kay Hargreaves um, as part of her mentoring program, um, kept studying. My university degree was actually a Bachelor of Media with a oh. major in creative writing, so not dog related at <laughs> all. Um, and when I moved to Melbourne, I was working for a sales and marketing company. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was very different. Um, I volunteered with the Burundara Dog Training as mm -hmm. well in Kew, which was around for a very long time with Ron Williams. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then sadly he passed away and they really wanted someone that was already on the team and involved there to take it over. Um, and I was someone that was in a position to be able to do that. Um, thankfully, a lot of the other trainers stayed on. They had much more experience yes, than I did. It. But um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I took that over and that wow. was kind of where I um, began training professionally. And what introduction, a great introduction you have had in Adelaide because, you know, with that Milligan, that's called mm -hmm. Tops. Absolutely. Like perfect. Absolutely. Perfect yeah. start. Yep. Deborah Milliken, um, now Dr. Petra Edwards was mm -hmm. also there um, and so many other trainers as Gee. well. So I was very lucky to kind of get my start in clicker training, force-free yes. training as well. There's Absolutely. a lot of trainers that have a crossover trainer path. Yes. No, you actually didn't have to go <laughs> that horrible path. <laughs> so I was going to ask you a few of the courses that have helped you doing the way in those early formative years. Yeah, so I, the first course I enrolled in was 
was the Companion Animal Sciences Institute, which is based in Canada. That was an online course. It was very technical, very scientific. Um, that's by James O'Hare. Mm-hmm. He, he designed that one. Um, and I really loved it by the time I was working full time in my sales and marketing. Um, so I didn't complete that one, but it was a fantastic start in terms mm-hmm. of the standard that I expected yep. from the courses I was doing. Um, I attended as many conferences as I could, the APDT conferences, <laughs> yeah. many years in a row. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, lots of reading everything that I could. I did, yeah, the Karen Pryor Academy Foundation course and the Dog Trainer Professional course mm-hmm. um, with Alexis Davison facilitating that, which was excellent. And how was the Karen Pryor? Yeah, it was, it was really good. It was really good. It, um, a lot of it was online, and then we would meet mm-hmm. for um, for our practical weekend workshops um, to really put everything to the test. Um, and the final, you know, doing all the final assessments, and we had to train some very long behaviour chains in um, in our own dog to then yeah be able to yeah. show that we could do do what we Absolutely. could do. But in terms of cleaning up my training people skills, my clicker training mm-hmm. skills. So did you have to submit assignments via video, videotaping, or was done like a residential? Um, yeah, so we did a lot of on, there was online study mm-hmm. um, and exams and assessments that right. way. And then, yeah, there was the in-person assessments as well. Okay, right. So in, in regards to the Burundara dog training, once uh, you took over the business after Ron Williams passing, uh, you ran classes, yeah? It was puppy school classes and uh, other pet level manners? Yeah, we ran all sorts of classes there. So we did lots of puppy classes, many, many puppy classes, especially <laughs> in like January, February when everyone oh, gets a puppy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, lots of puppy classes through there. We also developed um, a membership model and a levels model mm-hmm. for people. So they would buy a membership and then they could come along um, and they would be in their level until they could do those things and they would move up. So it wasn't kind of set weeks um, and that worked really well. That's we had, great. yeah, levels one through to five. Um, and the whole focus of the school mm-hmm. was to create really great pet dogs mm-hmm. as well. We're based in Kew, um, many oodles, lots of border collies, <laughs> lots of golden retrievers. Um, yeah, all sorts of breeds. It was fantastic. Um, Being on Hayes Paddock, what happens if the weather turned nasty and rain? Did you oh. have any shelter area or you were so um, keen it did no matter what? <laughs> no, we were there unless it was dangerous yeah. in front of our line. Like, yeah, unless it was, you know, ridiculously hot. And even then we'd move classes earlier okay. so that we could still run classes. We did have a little building there that we could run like puppy classes no, just, in, yeah. but it wasn't big enough for no, like for a, f- a full adult class. And we would have, you know, uh, let me see, five classes six dogs in a class mm-hmm. happening at a time. So you can imagine the number wow. of dogs that were there. Yes, um, lots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and in that situation, how did you approach if a dog was um, a bit too aroused by that environment, you know, like could have been a, a young pup, a juvenile just being adopted by a shelter and this was the first time getting introduced to dogs. How, how did that situation Ab- was handled? Absolutely. I mean, we would do a lot of um, like pre-screening and we really wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that people were coming into this environment and being able to learn mm-hmm. as well, that they would learn, that their dog could learn. And if the dog's, you know, jumping and barking and things, mm. they're just too aroused to be able to actually retain any information. So it wasn't going to be a good experience for them no. or for us. Um, so we would do like one-on-one training mm-hmm. first with them. Um, and there were lots of dogs that we were able to 
take from being in that state to being able to join classes Mm -hmm. as well just by doing a few one-on-one sessions with them in that class environment um, and in that park environment. We could get the distance away. It was was the best office in the world (laughs) being able to train there. Um, And it was so realistic as well. Um, because we, you know, we had joggers and cyclists and yes. we had sports games on. We had, it was an, it was an off-leash, it's, yeah. it's an off-leash dog park. So we had off-leash dogs yeah, running in the classes. <laughs> Hello, wow. So, um, yeah, it was definitely training for real life and, um, yeah, give, giving everyone the skills. And you had, uh, I think it was a Thursday class as well for yep. people who were available. And, yeah, yeah. Yep. We ended up running classes on Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So wow, we were very busy. <laughs> very busy bees. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask, how was for you? Dog training during COVID years. How did that affect you professionally? Yeah, that was um, that was very devastating <laughs> for, <laughs> for a me. lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with the COVID lockdowns, we couldn't run classes at Burundara Dog Training, um, and yeah, the business actually ended up closing oh, and going to liquidation through that stage. So Jeez. that was devastating for yeah, me, especially having having taken on the legacy yes. from Ron Williams, yeah. Um, and yeah, and then having to go go through that. Um, I had also just had my second baby Aww. at the end of 2019. So I had a six-month-old baby at the Gee. time as well. So lots of emotions going oh, on then. Yeah. Um, yeah, but sadly, yeah, the business closed down. And I took about pretty much all of the lockdowns until I reckon like oh. 2021 just to focus yeah. on the babies and the family and kind of recovering from yeah. from, from so that there, experience. Um, for the business point of view, if you don't mind me asking, there was no way that it could be put on hold just in case once the reopening c- came about that you could just re- restart. Yeah, and, uh, we tried. So how we, um, I think along with many other dog trainers, yes, we scrambled tried. to get everything online. Yeah. We, we actually created these, um, I had a fantastic team mm-hmm. um, and we uh, we created these online puppy classes mm-hmm. that were a mix of live and recorded content, um, but just the income required to sustain a business that yes. as big as it was, we couldn't replicate that with no. purely online services. Yeah. So. so yeah, so we couldn't run when we were insolvent, and yes, yeah, so oh, no, sadly no, we had can't. to close. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. But it's still listen. traumatic. <laughs> yes, it is too. And how was having babies like in that period as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we spent a lot of time at home. I think there was a good three months they didn't leave the house. Oh, <laughs> so I was very glad we moved up to the Dandenong Ranges at the end of 2019 oh, uh, from Mount Waverley. Yeah. And I was just really glad that we were out there and had so much space and yes. surrounded by nature, beautiful nature. To, be able to, mm. to be able to go through that period. And, um, and it's a beautiful community up yes. there as well. Um, compared to suburbia, I find yeah, living yes. in the hills is an amazing, vibrant community, and everyone keeps an yeah. eye out for each other. And because we've never seen so many dogs getting walked out there during lockdown, like we live close to Patterson River, like everybody was out and about, and never seen so many. Yeah, the everyone getting dog. their hour of exercise. Yes, absolutely. It's really weird to think back on now. Yes, when you <laughs> the see the restrictions that we had. Five Ks, and my husband was trying out to sneak me away further, and I said, "No, I'm not going further." <laughs> absolutely. Oh God. Okay, so I think we're going to have a very tiny short break and we'll be back in a second. You're listening to Zoomies on Radio Karen. Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's. Caram Station Street! Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now! Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now! It's a pizza! It's a mystic pizza! 
Hi everyone, welcome back to Zoomies, and we are continuing our chat with Yari Castle. Yari, I was going to ask you, how did you decide to specialize in reactive dogs and aggressive dogs? So how did it come about? Like, was always, like, deep down was an area you really wanted to tackle, you know? I think that I really empathize with people that are living with dogs that are reactive um, and it, or have aggression issues. I've lived with those dogs myself. My I've got a whippet mm-hmm. as well called Finley. He's now almost nine. Um, but when he was probably about nine months old, he developed this really severe reactivity to other dogs, just this overexcitement. Wow. He would see another dog and he'd be like leaping and screaming on the mm. end of the leash. I don't know if you've heard a whippet scream, but it's very loud <laughs> and yes. piercing. Um, and yeah, f- well, for me as a dog trainer, very embarrassing. Oh, um, <laughs> we always have happen. to have the perfect dogs. Um, yeah, but I really empathise with mm. people that have these dogs. And I've worked with so many clients where they don't know what to do with their dogs. They're feeling really trapped with their dogs. Like when you have a dog that has reactivity or aggression issues, it really limits what they can do in mm. their life. They can't take their dog out. They can't enjoy the markets mm. and go to the cafe mm. and have that lifestyle that they had hoped oh, to have yeah. with their dog and what would be a, an enriching life for the dog as well. And it can really limit the things they can do at home. They can't have visitors over. Mm. They can't have friends over. Um, they can't go away on holidays. And I find that... Being able to relieve that stress on the owners and also making life better for the dog mm-hmm. is just so reinforcing for me. So that's how I ended up working in that space. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit of my own personal experience, but just a ton of empathy for the people that are living Absolutely. with it and wanting to make yes. lives better. Much better. Yeah, Much it's, better. it's kind of my way of spreading kindness in the yes. world. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and in regards to your dog, I think that the challenge of dogs we own teaches heaps. Absolutely. You know, it's unbelievable. Like we want the perfect dog because you don't want the others to have to be seen and be embarrassed, like you said, but they can teach you incredibly for our work, the, the journey we do for our clients. Um, so, do you handle the dog aggression dog to dog or dog to people as well? Both, uh, both sides? Yeah, both. Um, mm-hmm. Any sort of aggression or reactivity issues, which can really come around for a whole heap of reasons. So, the aggression can be a lot of time it's fear-based the dog's um, nervous or scared or it might have started off that way or it can also be a medical issue that's caused it originally the dog was in pain um, and then even once that medical issue gets picked up and is resolved sometimes the dog has this anticipation that it's going to hurt so they're still in this habit of using Mm. aggression even though it no longer serving them the way that it it did when when they first started started using it so yeah it's about going in and trying to create a circuit breaker and change the story for the dog and change what happens for mm-hmm. the dog and um and why they need to use aggression and really looking at that why piece is really important mm-hmm. as well we can't mm-hmm. just look at oh the dog's you know biting or jumping or whatever it is let's put a stop to that it's like mm-hmm. why is the dog doing it what's the story here what, yes. what's happening behind the scenes that we need to that we need to change for the dog yeah no absolutely and um, how do you find that these dogs can be helped and the best way to help the dog guardians involved a, a lot of empathy for them mm. as well i think being really non-judgmental in when i'm first having conversations with them and hearing because i always ask you know what have you tried mm. so far what's worked what hasn't worked who else have you worked with um and people they'll try so many different things and 
some of them work really well. Some of them are like, oh, we tried, mm-hmm. we tried this and it made the dog worse. Um, it can be looking at, again, their medical history and those sorts, mm-hmm. of, sorts of things. But then in terms of actual methodology, um, for dogs that are reacting out of fear, a lot of times it's trying to change that emotional response. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, like this isn't actually scary. This actually predicts good things for you, mm-hmm. um, which can take a fair bit of convincing, especially if it's a dog where, you know, they've been rushed up by another dog on lead yes. um, when they've been out for a walk and they've been rushed, you know, five times. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to convince, yes. uh, <laughs> to yes, convince them that uh, the other dogs yeah. are safe, I swear. Yeah, no, that's, um, it can become traumatic experiences as well. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, it is trauma. Yeah. So do you do uh, normally when you do uh, the behavioral modification like uh, and then do training plans and do you find that the clients, when you advise them to, to go for a medical check, a vet check, do they are compliant with that or they think you are there to solve everything? <laughs> um, I, I think I'm pretty good at explaining that, mm-hmm. it, that it's a multifaceted approach. I love working within a team of people mm-hmm. to help the owner and the dog. Um, so there'll be me and I'll certainly be working on the behaviour side of things, but um, yeah, I'll try and get either their vet involved or I'll um, refer them to a vet that specialises mm-hmm. um, in behaviour issues, so a veterinary behaviourist or a vet with an interest in behaviour, um, and then I'll liaise with them as well and we can share notes together and they can mm-hmm. let me know what they yes. think and, yeah. and, and vice versa. Um, I always send a ton of resources to my clients yeah. and then Great. Um, and I'm really big on touching base with them in between sessions because mm-hmm. I can't give them like a plan and then have them go off and practice it for two weeks and yeah, then come no, back and like, oh, actually, to... like, you need to be doing this a little bit differently yeah. or let's work this. Just a month. Um, and there's so many times where getting videos from the clients in between our sessions, yeah. that's where the real value is because mm-hmm. I can see what the dog's like when I'm not there. Because yes. one, just even having me there can really mm-hmm. impact Interfere. How, yeah. how the dog impact. behaves. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, getting those videos, I've really been able to kind of crack open the case. Mm-hmm. and be like, oh, this is actually something that's a bigger deal than what we thought it was Initially, from conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And what, how do you find when they realise that the cost of seeing a veterinary behaviours might be much, you know, like <laughs> it, further than actually initially thought of. Yeah, definitely. They're, um, yeah, very behaviourist person. They have done a ton of study mm, and experience. Mm. They are worth every dollar that they charge. Yes, but yeah, it's we def- know that. It's, <laughs> def- it's definitely a, a stretch for the average person, especially these yeah. days. Um, so if it is out of their budget, then there's some really fantastic vets um, mm-hmm. around Melbourne that have an interest in behaviour, even if they haven't done yes. the full study and qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll often charge, you know, their regular consult fees mm-hmm. are a little bit more, uh, but they're certainly a lot less there's than what the very, a very behaviourist yeah. does. So thankfully those vets are also available yeah, and, and I love working with them as well. Mm, very good, very good. I was going to ask now, if you have had any dangerous situations directly involved when you went to see a client and their dog uh, in a private or behavioural modification case, and if they are reactive, aggressive uh, in the owner's home, if they gave you, the client gave enough information to keep you, you know, like safe enough because yeah. it's a strange space for you. And Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so definitely walking into unknown environments um, mm-hmm. and things like Big on safety, so I do ask a lot of pre-questions. Um, I tend, tend to do my first consult is via video call as well, so I can get a okay. really good idea of the That's people and the dog. Um, and then we'll have safety things in place. So mm-hmm. I'll ask people to you know, have the dog in another room or in um, tethered in the backyard or mm-hmm. something like that to, to keep them safe. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I've never... 
I've never been bitten. <laughs> never? Again. Wow. No, that is, no, that's um, great. <laughs> no, no, wait. Sorry. There was one little dog who did take a bite of my shoe. The shoe? Um, yeah, that was, that, was a, that was a management fail. Um, okay. Yeah, he took, a bite, he took a bite of my shoe, but thankfully I wear these big boots to work. So <laughs> there, was no, there was no damage. No, like, to the feet. Um, but I always find if, if a dog has been pushed to that point um, – by anyone like to me that's a that's a training issue that's mm-hmm. a trainer failure as well so like to that little dog that did bite me on the toe um, <laughs> or tried to I was like I am so sorry that you were pushed to that point right. that we didn't manage you well enough um that yeah that the dog felt the need to resort to that to, to mm. aggression yeah um because because, yeah, it's not something the dog wants to do. It's a dog that's stressed and panicking. And, yeah. I, and I hate the idea of no, the dogs no, I'm working with experiencing thing. that. No. So, poor little dog. But he's, he's making progress. Yeah. <laughs> and um, since on this note, I remember when I was early stages when I was doing starting to do dog training and I went to a client in Frankston and, well, I was a German Shepherd. Fine. There was the forms all filled in. Um, at those days, we didn't use video so mm-hmm. much, you know. So you're talking about well, 15 years ago. And then I just walked in the backyard. Initially, the dog was on the leash. But then I didn't know that her son did a playful game with the dog. So I had, it was raining and I had like a little raincoat and there mm. was like a little flap, a hood. Yeah. So actually the son, without, there was information not on my forms at all submitted to me. And then as the dog came to sniff me out there, I didn't know that there was a game. So it comes from behind and grabs me with like the front paws for behind and then goes and bites this little flat, the hood. Oh gosh, that would have been and terrifying. And to get a big hug from behind, close to your head, there was a, quite a bit of a shock. Yeah, when you're not expecting it, absolutely. No, no, no. So that was, vi- and that's like it put me to think much more, um, well, uh, some kind of safeguard issues next time I walk out to have the dog longer on the leash and start uh, meeting sometimes outside before coming in. Yeah. That was not a good uh, game to be taught there. I, yeah, I did have uh, one experience when I was still fairly new to mm-hmm. consulting while I was starting to work more with these dogs. Um, and I was working with a client and there was um, there was a language barrier um, there and I was going mm-hmm. going through everything yeah. with them, but then they really wanted me to go outside with German Shepherd um, to <laughs> to meet this dog. So I went out, and yeah, the German Shepherd was not happy at all. And I'd asked them to put the dog on a lead, but it hadn't happened. Language uh-huh. issues, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, but it ended up with me like standing facing away from the dog, trying to be very non-threatening and uh-huh. watching in like the sliding door of like the dog behind me, like seeing okay. what the dog was doing. His hackles up, barking at me. Yee. So that was terrifying. Um, but I managed to get them to remove the dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a big learning. Learning oh, experience really for me, um, yeah. and thankfully no injuries to anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that is it. And um, the other thing that I remember, I was in Brazil. That was on a tourist. And obviously, seeing family in Florianópolis, a gorgeous place where my uncle lived, and there was beaches, was a fishing village, and then there's stray dogs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm a dog person, you know. And um, what for? I start saying hello to this big. I couldn't tell the breed. Can be cross all types of things. Look like golden retriever, cross shepherd, and marimo, whatever. But it seems to be engaging the fun. And then was having attention from someone. And then suddenly comes out of the blue and jumps as well on me because I wanted to stop the play and he didn't want me and grabs me. And I just look at my husband and say, okay, Adriana, you're a trainer. You sort it now, sort it out. And it would not let me go. So it nipped me on the heels because come on, come and play with me on, along the beach. 
and I have to go and have rabies shot because you just don't know what these dogs yeah. are. It looks, you know, no, no, no. You don't want to take any risks health-wise. Absolutely. So I learned my journey to start, keep a little bit contained myself and say hello to all these stray dogs on the beaches because what happened there in Brazil, uh, I know we're talking about your topic, aggressive dogs, but there's so many gorgeous beaches. The surfers come, they hire these gorgeous houses, and then they befriend the local dogs. But once they finish their season there, they leave the dogs there on the beach. So they keep just packs of dogs that yeah. cling and say hello to people, get fed, you know, come for attention. But then they go back on the beach. And uh, so, yeah, it's a strange life, like in the third world countries, the, the, the stray dogs. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, those world dogs, they certainly got a life unto their own. Very different. I feel like it must be a very happy life for a dog, though. It like, is, they get free do, on the beach. Yeah, <laughs> they get to do all of their doggy stuff. They go where they want, find food when they want. They charm their way just for food, you know. Exactly, like. <laughs> exactly. So I always feel sad when you hear of those dogs being like taken from that environment and then yep. adopted into houses in America and That's things it. like Those dogs have like, lost everything they've ever known yeah no wonder they then have so many behavioral yes, issues absolutely so we will be going for another short break and we'll be back in a tick you're listening to zoomies on radio karen uh, hello this is kieran carroll uh the playwright from edith vale and you're on radio karen a great station that gives many many voices a chance across the city of kingston Go Radio Karam. Hi everyone, welcome back to Zoomies, your doggy podcast, and you're listening to Radio Karen. We are continuing our chat with Yari Castle. Yari, I was going to ask you now, uh, which you find to be one of the main reasons that why dogs become reactive or display aggressive behaviors towards another dog? Sure, so towards another dog. So a lot of times that behaviour, and, you know, if I try and describe it so people know what I mean when I say reactive, because that label can mean so many different things. Um, To me, it's a dog where they see another dog and they start staring or start jumping, pulling on the lead. They don't listen to their owners. They don't want any treats. Um, They, yeah, they completely switch off and they're just really focused on that other dog. Um, to me, that behave that behaviour can come from two different places. It can either be the dog is trying to increase distance or it's trying to decrease distance. So with Finley, for example, he would see another dog and he would jump and leap and scream. Um, and that was him just being just so overexcited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm here, let's play. Mm-hmm. Go, come here, friend. Um, <laughs> it looks terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that was him just being so overexcited, he just couldn't contain himself. Um, and I find that that is a lot of the dogs that I work with, it is that really mm-hmm. overexcited um, reactivity. And then there's other dogs where their reactivity is, get away from me, I'm going to act big and tough so mm-hmm. that you don't come mm-hmm. near me and I'm going to get you before you <laughs> get me. I think and those dogs are really scared mm-hmm. for a little thing. So that's what I often see, like little dash hounds, for example, mm-hmm. they're often, yes. the, you know, their feet are you know, three inches long. So I'm I'm not surprised that the world (laughs) is terrifying for them. Um, But yeah, so it can really come from these two different places. Between the two, like working with a dog that's really overexcited, um, I find you can make really quick progress with them a lot Mm -hmm. of the time Mm -hmm. because it's like, cool, that behavior is not going to work. You're not going to get to say hello to the other dog. Um, Let's start teaching you some new behaviors Mm -hmm. and finding some other things that that are rewarding for you. 
so then we can start shaping the behavior that we want um, and start teaching them, hey, when you want something, check in with your owner and you <laughs> might get to go get it. <laughs> uh, the dogs that are That's scared, awesome. we do, we, it can be a slower process for them. Um, this helping them to know that they are safe and mm-hmm. that they don't need to use this big um, aggressive display mm-hmm. in order to get the scary thing to go away. Um, yeah. So, but lots of counter conditioning yep. associating. Oh, there's a dog. Here's mm-hmm. here's some roast chicken. Yeah. Ergo, yeah. seeing a dog equals getting chicken. So it's not so scary in the mm-hmm. end. Have you ever had clients to just tell you just up front, I don't want to use any food, and then stubborn about them? <laughs> um, I have had clients say that, but I tend to bring them around fairly quickly. Like, okay, good. I've, like, <laughs> foods, basically, food is like money for dogs mm-hmm. as well. So, Currency. It, mm. yeah, exactly. Like their kibble's worth like a dollar, livers maybe ten, twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> some cheese, you get into the fifty dollar mark. If you get them some like roast chicken, that's like a hundred dollars. Oh, that's a great um, approach. <laughs> I have been known to go through like the drive through and get chicken nuggets on my way to a oh, consult. <laughs> chicken nuggets. Yeah, stops. yeah, we. Want we want the maximum value. Um, and, you know, like I'm terrified of, of huntsmen and giant spiders. Yeah. Um, but if every time I saw one, my husband gave me $100, I'd probably start feeling better about the huntsman. <laughs> he hasn't taken me up on it yet, but I keep okay. <laughs> Does he know about this? <laughs> oh, he knows all, all of Your the dog fears? training things. Oh, the dog training. Great. Great husband. Um, yeah. So when I explain it in that way, it's like... And food is quick and easy and we have to feed dogs anyway. Mm. We may as well use that yes. ration for training rather than getting it for free in a bowl. Let's bowl. get them working for it yep. as well. Sensational. And do you find that after a dog-to-dog attack, do dog owners act and look for help straight away or that they seem to wait for a while until uh, they only look for help when it's a lot later and the dog behaviors just become a real worry for them? Yeah, I do find it's, um, especially with aggression, it's usually after a particular incident um, or it just gets kind of to breaking point. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can't have anyone over to my house. My dog has separation anxiety, so I can't leave them home alone. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm literally trapped. Like, help. I need need help with this dog. Or it's, the dog's had issues with people for a while, but now it's bitten my mother-in-law on Mm. the ankle. So now we need to deal with it. Um, Or yeah, or there's like, there's a particular incident that happens or yeah, there's a dog fight or something Mm -hmm. like that. Even though um, I really want to work in the preventative space as Mm. well. So the clients that I do get where they're like, oh, I just need help with loose lead walking and and house manners, often we'll go for a walk and I can already see behaviours that are going to become reactive behaviour. So So I'm trying to get them to start doing things then. before. Yeah, Yeah, and I think so many people, they don't realise what those early stages Mm. look like. Um, so if I can get in there early mm-hmm. and be like, oh, like let's work on this now before your dog's having a full-blown meltdown, mm-hmm. then yeah, we can prevent the issue from occurring. And um, I'm working on developing like an online course for mm-hmm. pet Great. owners yeah. that's about preventing reactivity and aggression Wonderful. issues. Yeah. I think there's so many owners now that have had a dog like that and they yes. don't want that experience again no, they don't. when they get yeah. their next dog or puppy um, mm-hmm. and things. So yeah, I feel like having a resource available where like, cool, if you do these things that are specific around preventing yes. aggression and reactivity. It always be like that. Yeah. Then Prevention, but they tend to look for help when the situation, unfortunately, you know. Exactly. Humans, yeah. we're a very reactive, reactive species. Reactive species <laughs> instead of prevention, yeah. So I was going to ask that something else. Um, how do you find that because like dog parks the dog parks and areas they have changed a lot through time like I have done the the small groups but were different 
period of the time. Since COVID, a lot of people, just because they didn't have access to, to classes, everything shut down, they went to the dog parks and they started socialization there without knowing enough about dog body language. And uh, a lot of situations have changed. So how do you find the dogs that get attacked quite often, more than once, I'd say, in a dog park? Um, you know, so yeah, it's so, it's so hard for the dogs and so hard for the, for the owners as well because they feel like they're doing the right thing by their dog. Um, and I've certainly had clients where they're the ones taking their dogs to the dog park that's attacking other dogs. They're like, mm, you need mm. to socialise. I'm like, yes. this is not having a great time mm-hmm. at the dog park. So I think it's important for owners to recognise when the dog is enjoying going to the dog park mm. and when they're not. And if their dog is the one attacking other mm. dogs, then that's mm. a big clue that there's other ways to meet their needs. Um, for the dogs that are being attacked, I find a lot of people that just end up avoiding the dog parks. I find fenced mm-hmm. in dog parks are a lot worse for it. They're like, fine, yeah. Yeah, fenced. like fenced in dog parks, you get a lot of people going there where they're like, oh, it's a dog park, like I let my dog run around off lead mm-hmm. and do whatever it wants. Uh-huh. Um, okay, and not that actually, sense, yes. yeah, and call back, no. Yeah, that's it. And they take them to the fenced in dog park because their dog because doesn't it. come when, <laughs> when cold. <laughs> so <laughs> if I have a choice oh, between oh, a oh, fenced oh, or an unfenced off leash yes. area, then I'll go the unfenced one. Um, because I know at least then the mm. people will tend to have a bit more of a recall with their mm-hmm. dog as well. But it is, it's about knowing that body language and knowing how to intervene as well and mm. when to intervene and know what good dog play looks like. So it should mm. be the dogs are taking turns and they should be doing different activities. So it's a little bit of chasing and then it's a bit mm-hmm. of bitey face and rolling around yep. and it shouldn't always be one dog on top of the other. And looking at the body language, you know, are the tails tucked under, are the ears pinned back or are they loose and wiggly Mm. and waggy? Because there are some dogs that do genuinely love going to the dog park. They're very rare, Mm -hmm. (laughs) much rarer than than we Mm. think. Um, Yeah, but having those, yeah, having those groups and make sure it's just not a big pile on is is a big one. It was great that like when you run the Burundara, the dog training place you had many levels so actually it wasn't like the the client just coming with the puppy for puppy school and then they go out in their world you know because that's it if you just do puppy school and then you think okay now my dog is socialized straight to a dog park no they actually get to learn the next level next stages and you know like the, the dog body language you know how to meet and greet politely even on a lead because otherwise they're not ready that puppy and the client's a beginner is not ready to go to in my opinion, yeah. to a dog park is another ball game. Out yeah, there. definitely. Yeah. I always um I always tell people wait until your puppy is six months old before mm-hmm. you go to a dog park if if you're going to go, um, because by then one your puppy is a bit more resilient as mm-hmm. well. They're kind of out of that real early socialization yeah. um, critical period, and they're a bit more resilient too. Mm-hmm. If they do get bowled over or have a snap at someone, like an older dog snaps at them, they're a bit more resilient to that. Can bounce um, back a bit yeah, quicker. That's yeah, that's it. And they've also got more of a relationship with the owner, so there is yeah. a bit of recall there. So yes. they can call their dog yeah. out of trouble True. as well. Whereas when they go when they're really, li- really young, then mm-hmm. the risk of the dog having a traumatic experience and then them learning Huge. from that single event, because some dogs you they have one bad experience and That's they it. never forget it yep. and other dogs they get attacked 10 times and then on the 11th they actually take an issue with it yes um so which just comes down to different personalities and genetics Absolutely. and breeding and yep. um and a whole cocktail of things <laughs> yes, that go into too. those behavioral responses um yeah but definitely we had certainly had people that 
we come to puppy class and like cool non-puppy class dog is trained (laughs) Um, whereas my (laughs) aim was always to try and keep people coming to classes for their dog's first year Mm -hmm. as if they could come to the dog's first year year. like through that beginning of like adolescence from that six to twelve months very important um then they would have enough knowledge and skills and yes. the dog would have knowledge and skills to be able to stages. develop and keep going into yep. being a really lovely dog. Whereas often a lot of um, – well, they do the puppy preschool and then cool, done that and everything is great for mm. a good couple of months after that but then the dog gets like seven, eight months oh, old yeah. and into that teenage phase. And like, oh, <laughs> actually, the rest of the world is much more interesting <laughs> than my owner. <laughs> <laughs> so, Take off. And then, yeah, and then it's actually harder to – it's what well, – it's a little bit harder. Yes. It's not impossible. No, Obviously, no, it's not still early enough. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but it is harder if you haven't had that like that consistent yes, training through that period, um, and you can prevent so many of those issues that prevent, come up again in um, in adolescence. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you now, how has been your experience working for the RSPCA and mm. which position do you work there? Yeah, so that's fairly new for me. I've been there since October last year mm-hmm. um, and I work as a training and development consultant there in the education team. So my job is training the staff and volunteers, um, mostly with dogs, but I also do training with the cats and the guinea pigs and the oh, rabbits awesome. and the ferrets and, and all sorts of species, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Again, for me, I really love empowering the people to be able to do the mm. training. So this role is fantastic for me, um, being able to work with the animal attendants and the volunteers mm-hmm. and the foster carers to give them the skills to be able to make the day-to-day life of, of all the animals in our care so much better. Um, and, yeah, and I've also started doing more seminars and um, mm-hmm. as well, which is more public-facing. So I'm running one tomorrow. Reactive. Talk about a bit of <laughs> this one. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I've developed this seminar called Reactive to Responsive and it's a three-hour seminar that includes practical components about the skills that we need and the knowledge we need to help reactive dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we have um, sold out. We've got 40 people coming, which I'm excited very about. Good, and, good. yeah, we'll have them come along get lots of knowledge, get a training, the beginnings of a training plan. Obviously, there's always lots of variation. So mm-hmm. working one-on-one with a trainer is mm-hmm. going to be the best. Are you going to have dogs present from the shelter present? No, no we, won't, we won't have those. We've, uh, I've got some very well-behaved stuffed dogs that are great for <laughs> demoing on the harnesses <laughs> and the handling <laughs> techniques. Um, we do have clickers, though, so we're going to do some clicker training mm-hmm. with each other. Oh, it is um, good. It yeah, is. yeah. Mm-hmm. so I'll definitely get that, that oh. practical skill set um, because dogs, dog training like yes I'm a dog trainer but I'm more of a people trainer Mm, it's all very well if I can come in and the dog does everything really well for me for the hour hour and a half that I'm there (laughs) but then I'm gonna leave and you need to be able to to work with your dog work work with your dog for the next two weeks while I'm not there Mm -hmm. um yeah so the big focus on this seminar is giving people that knowledge and those skills and learning those mechanical skills the mechanic is a mechanical skill yeah, yeah like dog trainers they make it look easy because we've been doing it for you know <laughs> 10 20 30 years <laughs> um but it is a skill and it's muscle memory and yes it's, yeah, it. it's yeah. um it's definitely a skill to learn and when we have a dog and an owner that are starting this journey together the dog doesn't know what to do the owner doesn't know what to do so we've really got the blind leading the blind yeah. <laughs> so yeah so i'm trying I, I want i want to get the owner up to speed as quickly <laughs> as possible so then we can help the dog that is wonderful. So do you find that after COVID, because then those in those times people were at home a lot, working from home or couldn't work at all, and then they got all these shelter dogs and do you find that it just started having the bouncing back effect? A lot of them came back once life reopened. <laughs> yes and no. I think 
because um, there's been a lot of talk about this at um, yeah. at RSPCA, and obviously it's um, something that we're that we're really mindful of. But I don't think our statistics mm. have actually changed that much. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, certainly. I think the dogs that we do have coming in now, they have more behavioural issues mm-hmm. than previously, um, but that could be a whole range of factors as well. Yeah. We're kind of getting far enough away from the COVID lockdowns where it's not just COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're seeing big changes in like the genetics of dogs and the breeding of dogs and mm-hmm. the hereditary issues, behavioural issues that are coming right. through as well. So I think those are all contributing factors. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. And uh, have you had? Do you go inside the pens uh, sometimes, like uh, hands on, yeah. like uh, yeah, definitely. Do you have enough information of the dog before actually getting, <laughs> just in case uh, something goes wrong? Yeah, so um, a lot of my work is preventative. It's the mm-hmm. you know teaching the newbies how to hold the leash and make sure they're handling the dogs well. Um, but it's certainly a bit of training the oh we've had this dog has had this issue Mm -hmm. or we know this dog is struggling um can you come and help Mm -hmm. um with what we can do for this dog yeah so i'll generally talk to the animal attendants they're absolute gold they know the dogs inside out and um yeah Yeah. they and they really take them all to heart which is really lovely to see Mm -hmm. but they can often tell us the um a lot about the dog Mm -hmm. um we do obviously keep records of that sort of stuff on 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 a database as well so we've got so we've got all that written down and all the behavior assessments as well because i had experience but um was a few years back but was at the local shelter and i was working with another trainer we were doing temperament assessments um, but it was run by a committee of management and it was hard because the volunteers, the, there was not like a, a system like the RSPCA or the Lost Dogs Home. You've got a behavioral department and then, you know, they are, uh, all this knowledge gets passed down the line and they get proper training days and they get recognized. But it was very hard because the turnover of volunteers and things very much changed now. It's good to know, but <laughs> there was challenges there. Yeah, because mm. there were dogs getting put down that we were working with and they oh, were no just way. on the right track yeah, but because unfortunately really a volunteer did something uh, inadvertently you know and didn't have the knowledge enough and yeah 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 that's really happened. yeah that's definitely really hard when people without the skills and things yeah. might something might happen to them but it's also well I mean, if that dog is adopted out, then the yeah. person adopting them might not have those skills. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was there's, hard. There's only yeah. so many dog trainers that can take yeah. in the, the project Absolutely. dogs. But f- it was hard because um, there was like an overnight pain and the dog was just dumped on the overnight mm-hmm. pain. There were situations like close to Christmas time, the more dogs got dumped because people couldn't afford paying a bit. Like boarding yeah, kennel, kennel or a sitter or you know the jet seat and then it comes after the holiday to come back and get another one like yep. this thing is pretty shocking reality yeah. isn't it absolutely you know? and then there was a situation like disease state some an elderly person die and didn't have like anything on the wheel for example there's actually something that I cover in one of the episodes here and I was talking about the RSPCA the bereavement program uh, because it's so important to have a plan because some people like my not have family anymore. Some people yep. come from overseas. Like I don't have kids, right? <laughs> if my husband passed and then I, if I die after, I need to have something written down. What would happen to my dog? Yeah, what's going to happen to the dog? So dogs? important. Yeah, have to, have to include them in the in yes. the planning as well. Absolutely. So I was going to ask then the Michael Shikashu, the master course, Aggression in Dogs, that mm. you've done. How was it? Um, which sort of subjects that really attract your attention, like your favorite ones, and uh, it has helped you in your work? Absolutely, yeah. It's very, it was very in-depth, definitely a master course. <laughs> and it covers, covers most aspects of, of aggression. I really liked... Um, there were units in there as well from like Dr. Chris Packle mm-hmm. as well, veterinary behaviorist in the US, um, looking at 
the medical causes of behaviour. Um, I found that really, mm. really fascinating. Um, and I was found recently, there was a study done that showed that in aggression cases, up to 80% of dogs are experiencing pain, oh, like undiagnosed pain that is contributing to their aggressive behaviour. And 80% is a huge, a huge number. Huge <laughs> That's a huge number. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that really highlighted for me the importance of assessing mm-hmm. all those medical things. Um, and also I'm not a vet, it's not my job to assess mm. those things, no, but no, it's keeping but my ears open for like, oh, like maybe that's something yes. that, w- that we, that we need to, that we need to mm-hmm. look into further. Um, yeah, so there was that one and also really enjoyed, um, hearing Mike's like handling techniques and those sorts mm-hmm. of things that, that he goes through, lots of great videos, um, in there and seeing him like working cases, mm-hmm. um, through there, lots of case studies. Um, and there was also a module from Kim Brophy, mm-hmm. um, who's a canine ethologist, applied ethologist, mm-hmm. um, looking at, I guess, the history of dogs and where they've come from and what they've mm-hmm. been bred for and how quickly we've changed our mm-hmm. life. And um, and I think that's a big part of why our dogs are struggling to keep up with, mm-hmm. with our changes in lifestyle when we've bred them to do particular jobs for mm-hmm. for a very long time and now, um, and now we don't need them to do those jobs. Yep. So, yeah, so hearing her work was fantastic and now I've enrolled in her course. Oh, um, you're always so learning. Never stop absolutely, learning. absolutely. I made myself finish Mike's course first before I started Kimberley. But now I've done that one, so I'm on, on to How doing, long is this one from Kimberley? Um, you have two years to do it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so that'll give you enough time. Okay. Like, fingers <laughs> crossed the between the kids and everything. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask as well. When you're working with a reactive dog-to-dog um, reactivity, and is when it's going very well at a distance, but then when you start having to reduce, you know, putting them a bit close range, and when things can then start going wrong. So, because you work up to a certain stage doing well, but then, you know, just the boundaries start yeah. changing, and how um, do you... Just some examples, like, that you have experience and what yeah, best approach you think. Each case is a case, I know, it's an individual case, but... Yeah, obviously each case can be different, um, but helping the dog to generalise as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the main method I use for working with um, with reactive dogs is um, engage-disengage. So initially just looking at the trigger, the dog, the car, whatever it is, um, we'll mark and reward that. And we're marking the dog for not looking at the trigger and not doing anything, even if it's only for a split second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but catching that moment um, of them not of them not reacting, just standing there looking at um, at the trigger, and fairly quickly they learn. Hey, when I see a dog, you give me chicken. So mm-hmm. they start cutting out the middleman. It's like there's a dog. Where's my chicken? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we start developing that fairly quickly, and then it's about generalizing it. So rather than always being in the same spot or always going to the same park, it'll be like cool. Let's do this in lots mm-hmm. of different environments, um, and we're also working on a lot of like get out emergency skills as well so the how to do the emergency u-turn um dropping treats on the ground and Mm -hmm. getting the dog sniffing can work really well i find for some dogs just having that something else to do Mm -hmm. and again it's about changing the dog's behavioral habits yeah i was like oh when i see a dog my habit is to lunge and bark so well how about you sniff the ground Mm -hmm. instead which is actually really calming to dogs as well yeah that that is very very good we are going to go for another tiny break and we'll be with you shortly you're listening to radio karen
Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. Hi everyone, welcome to Zoomies, your doggy podcast on Radio Karen. So chatting with Yarien Castle from Yarien Dog Training. Yari, um, on the Daniel Ranges, how do you find like the, oh, it's rural, it's a gorgeous area. So how do you find the doggy people there? Do they get together, have like a walking group or have you ever come across anything like that? A lot less so, I think, yes. because there's so many beautiful places to okay. walk your dog. Um, yeah, we don't really more. get, like, the congregation the okay. way we do in suburbia. Yeah. Um, but then we have different issues, like dogs will get really focused on, um, like, livestock, for example, uh-huh. or rabbits. <laughs> we have rabbit. a bit of a rabbit plague out of Emerald at the <laughs> moment. So, yeah, so rabbits is a big one. Um, yeah, we do have kind of dog parks and off-leash mm-hmm. dog areas. There's one in Emerald called Peppy's Land. It's this beautiful giant park that's unfenced um which is really lovely on a valley it goes all the way down that's yeah. one that i was walking all yeah. the way down yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's got a giant hill um hill. great for the yeah. dogs to run up and down and get a workout while yeah. the humans walk along the top um, <laughs> yeah so that's that's fantastic it's really nice because we can get a lot of space through there um and they've just the in cockatoo there was there's an off-leash dog area which they just put a fence around which i'm disappointed about oh, a previous conversation <laughs> i much prefer an unfenced dog park but that's okay that's um yeah that's popular as well and sometimes it's good for for me and my clients to be able to go there and know that the dogs are contained and they're not mm. going to be able to run up to us yeah. so as long as we stand far mm. enough back then um yeah there's going to be a fence you know what i remember now that i was um one of the day trips, because I go there sometimes, my mother-in-law towers in Devil Hill, so we keep going oh, beautiful. for lunch and then keep going there. I remember Puff and Billy had um, special doggy days on the carriages. They so did. they were doing, but that thing stopped now. But So we actually got to experience staying in Jambrook on the platform and watching all these people on the carriage with their dogs. It was gorgeous. That is cute. And yeah, I think. I think they only did it once. I don't think they've done it yeah, again. So maybe it didn't go well. Yeah, was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, oh, I must bring Kelly here. But then I just haven't heard. Like, I love the Puffin Billy. Like, just <laughs> yes, no, it's definitely very iconic for the area. And um, yeah, whenever I see it, <laughs> I'll be in the middle of a consult, but we'll be standing in the park and the trail will go past. Everyone, wave, has, everyone, everyone has to everyone stop and wave. wave. <laughs> the only one that didn't used to like was my horse because I got my horse uh, from Emerald and <laughs> the, the tale was that the girl used to do trail rides with James and then the first time he saw Puffin Billy what? yeah <laughs> he I spoke can like hell you know <laughs> yeah my this monster coming with the smoke coming out of the nostrils <laughs> I believe that I'm always yeah when um, I have clients that come up and see me like they live in suburban Melbourne uh-huh. or in the city um, but I tend not to travel <laughs> outside my local area but they'll come and see me so so we have these dogs from the city come up and then puffing billy's coming I'm like oh i'll just give you a little bit of extra roast chicken just in <laughs> sure, case you're not sure about case. this yeah. very loud thing <laughs> oh god so i was gonna ask you now on another note uh dog training industry has been changing you know the roles of the professionals associations um getting taking sometimes some stands i'm not going to go in particular names but how do you, your impression of the dog training industry and where it's hitting these days it is very mm, divided i guess mm-hmm. i don't know even in terms of like whether we should be taking a collaborative approach or a combative approach or mm-hmm. a competitive approach um for me i've like to collaborate (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and there's so many dogs out there 
that need help um, that I just want to help as many as I can and refer to other, Mm -hmm. you know, force free trainers as well. I think it depends a lot on where you spend your time online Mm -hmm. as well and which Facebook groups you're in will kind of really influence your perception of how things are going, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I Um, agree. Yeah, because there's some really beautiful parts of the internet that are mm. like very kind and welcoming, um, and there's um, really some orders that you get. Parts of, <laughs> oh, of the internet keep away. as well. Um, the claws are out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you definitely need to curate your own experience mm. online, especially. Um, yeah, but I find in Melbourne, the the community that I know of is really. Mm. Um, is really involved, really welcoming, and great. Yeah, everyone talks to each other, mm. which is which is really awesome. Um, yeah, and I think that there's a lot to learn from everyone. everyone. Like you can learn something from everyone, even if it's what not to do. <laughs> yeah. um, You're always learning. You can never say like I, I know it all. No, no. You, every dog, every client, every trainer that you inter- interact with, you teach you something. Definitely, yeah. definitely, and yeah, and I think it's important. Um, like for myself as a trainer to be really clear on what my ethics are and how I think mm-hmm. we should treat and train animals um, that we bring into our care. The dog doesn't, didn't choose to come live with us. Like no, that that no. was our choice. So <laughs> if I feel like we have like an ethical and moral obligation in how we treat that animal that we've brought into our life. Um, but I can also understand when people have different ethics. Mm. Um, and I think it's really hard for dog owners that the onus is on them to try and find a trainer mm. that has similar ethics to their own when they that when they don't even know they that, don't that, know that, that there are different even options. Even when it's changing slowly, but they don't even have enough information. They already get the dog, some very inexperienced owners. Like I, I was born overseas, yeah, in Brazil, but I've been here a long time. But so many nationalities come here and the mm. way they relate to dogs in their own countries can have been quite different as well and represents total another challenge for absolutely, them. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when I'm working with owners, like I go in very non-judgmental mm. as well. Like they can tell me like anything they've been doing to the dog. I'm like, okay, (laughs) like that's good to know. That's just more information and behavior is information Mm -hmm. as well. So what they've been doing with their dog, what they've looked for, et cetera, like that gives me information, especially now that they're talking to me as well. (laughs) It's also information. Um, There there was something else that um, I was going to ask is when you go to a private consultation and you've got a very interested family member who is keen to put out the work, and, uh, but then you might have like, well, can be even a partner, can be the husband, whatever. Like they don't really care enough, you know. And then you got this clash of yeah. ideas, information, and it can be tiring. You don't want their relationship to suffer, or the kids are too young and even to take on board. And yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I've worked with um with one client recently where the dogs were very reactive when Mm. the female owner walked them but not at all when the male owner walked them um for various reasons that i don't know some make sense some didn't Mm. um yeah but so he didn't see a problem with the dogs because he didn't have an issue with them Mm. (laughs) it was like what do you want about like the dogs don't have an issue you just got to tell them off and yank on the lead and and then they'll stop um or not do it at all I think so what ended up working in that conversation was me asking him like could you do these things in order to help your wife because oh. she is having trouble mm, <laughs> she is having point. trouble for whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason she, she is having trouble with the dogs 
Like, I know you're not having an issue, but could you do these training things in order to help your wife? And he was on board with doing Whoa, that. So that was yay, great. You won him over. <laughs> yeah, so that was, so that was great. Um, but I have had others where um, the husband blamed the wife for mm. the dog's issues um, and for the dog's behaviour, which was, yeah, and being quite nasty about it as well, which, oh. yeah, which is kind of where I have to, like, find that line between dog trainer and relationship counsellor. Yeah, because sometimes they're own little nitty-gritty little exactly. <laughs> personal things that come in. Exactly. So, yeah, and when and when if one party isn't interested in what I have to say, then mm. I can only give I can only, I, I only give information to people that want to hear it as mm. well. I don't give any unsolicited advice yes, ever. No. Um, you learn that one <laughs> learn that one quickly. Um, yeah, so I could only give the information mm. to the wife who really wanted to work on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and give her all the information and say, like, it's not your fault mm. that this is happening. Mm. Um, and, um, and yeah, and yeah, give her the skills. And she did see progress with, with the dog. But, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was really awkward and really awful for there her. There are some awkward having, situations that we have. Yeah, have, before, yeah, yeah. Have, having this um, this negativity and this blame in there yeah. when, you know, when your dog is biting people, like, blame mm. doesn't mm. really help. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Nothing. Other thing that I was going to say is, um, the level of anxiety that I notice in some clients, obviously since COVID, um, people sometimes, I don't know, they're much more enclosed at home and not going out enough, not relating to people as much, but there has been a lot of anxiety in some of the consults, uh, some situations, and then like you might have a dog that has separation anxiety, so they're obviously dog and the pe- person are a great match, uh, you know, because like a sponge, they're going to absorb the anxiety from mm. the sp- owner. And that's what I find that is can be quite challenging. And you can provide them with those dog, dog profile forms initially, but there's sometimes a lot of health issues that don't come through. They would not be open enough to write it down. But once you go and visit them, then you start perceiving these points. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I'm always definitely learning more about clients. The mm. more time I spend with them, and again, and getting those videos in between the sessions yeah. as well, I can. I can learn so much more about the dog and yeah. about the owner and, and how they interact with each other. Um, yeah, it's definitely coaching the owners and giving them the skills mm. and the reassurance as well. Um, I don't know if I've become desensitised to it, but even if a dog's <laughs> hanging on the lead, like barking their head off, I'm like, it's it's just noise. Like, I've got the lead. I know they're not going to go anywhere. They can't injure anyone. No one's going to die. Oh. So for me, I find it like, like it doesn't stress me out. But I can appreciate why it stresses the yeah, owners out. So it's kind of me um, uh, also trying to communicate that to them. It's like, like we've got this. We've got, yeah. you know, the harnesses yeah, on the dog that the dog yeah. can't escape from. Can't escape. We've got the lead. Like Just calm dog, down a bit. Yeah, that's it. It's like, yes, this is a problem that yeah. we want to fix. Um, but we need to be mindful of our own fight or flight responses yeah. as well. <laughs> um, and it's like, cool, let's go this way. Yeah. And we'll get out of that situation um (laughs) and reassess for a lot of time we don't get to we don't get to that point and Mm -hmm. i never want to push the dog to that point i'll I'll never ask a client Mm -hmm. to make a dog react or put a dog in into a a situation of failure yeah yeah exactly we we don't want that um and we don't want the dog practicing those habits Okay, so I think we are going to one of the last questions that I have is, uh, you are a very busy mom, so how do you find enough time to do all these activities? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do also have two young children, um, three and five-year-old boys, so they keep me busy. Um, I have a lot of support, which is fantastic. My wonderful. husband is a wonderful father and husband, uh, and he's very involved with uh, with everything to do with their house and children. Uh, my mum is very supportive. Great. I think it's also about 
you know, having to remember that this season in life with young children is so very short um, <laughs> and it will be over eventually. And when it is, I'm sure I'm going to miss it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's keeping – it's keeping all the balls in the air and deciding which balls are glass and, <laughs> and need to need to stay in the air and which ones are plastic and can fall <laughs> to the ground. Um, yeah, I don't get to see as many clients as I was as I would like to or that want to mm. see me. Um, but yeah, but I know that this is a very short. Oh, phase, you've got children. So. The yeah. priority. So, do your children get involved in training your dog? Are they have they have enough interest in? Um, <laughs> How old are they? If you don't mind. Uh, so they're three and five years. Well, old. that's me. Yeah. So they're still <laughs> very little. It has very cute videos of the older one when he's like one, like going sit yeah. <laughs> with a tree. Um, yeah, he's more interested in dog training a little bit. The youngest one absolutely wants nothing to do with dogs oh. at all. Gee, <laughs> so I, not not related to me, obviously. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, sometimes I play like dog training games with them oh. <laughs> as well. Um, but he likes touching and cuddling your dog? Or mm, not them? even. Oh, yeah, that is Not different. even. Like, yeah, yeah I think... Being raised, like, yeah, like one, I don't let them, you know, climb on no, and no, no, cuddle no. the dogs yeah, and no. things. But yeah, they're just not that interested in oh, it. Okay, which mm. is which is great. Mm. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's just easy. well, it makes Can life be. easier for the whippet. The whippet, don't just squash them. Yeah, much. yeah. So, any final thoughts or takeaway message that um you like to just share and to the pet owners out there? Oh gosh, um, there's so many, isn't it? I know. There's um, there's there's so much that could be said. Um. I think just remembering that behaviour is information as well. It's not a moral judgement um, from your dog or of your dog or you as a dog owner either. I think people often feel really ashamed and guilty, um, especially if something's happened that could have been prevented and so on. So I think it's best just to keep moving forward um, and, yeah, making sure that they find, you know, a qualified force-free professional to help them with their dog um, to really nut out all the different pieces that can be contributing to those behavioural issues, whether it's prior experiences, whether it's, um, you know, training methods, whether it's medical issues, whether it's genetics, whether it's an unmet need mm -hmm. for the dog. Um, yeah, finding someone that is a real dog nerd and <laughs> gets really excited <laughs> about looking at all those things um, can take a lot of onus off, off the onus to to develop that passion um and some of them do and they become excellent dog trainers because of it um yeah but behavior is information and we mm. need to keep looking at our dogs and um and learn and learning about them mm. and learning about the world from their perspective should well. people put more work and time into really researching more before they actually get the dog so um. yes i think that choosing a breed mm -hmm. that matches what you're what you're looking for out of life and your lifestyle as well yeah. yeah they're looking at at all the different dog breeds and because they're all developed as different parts of the predatory motor mm -hmm. pattern mm -hmm. and how dogs hunt um and some are better at different parts of it than others so understanding those built-in drives mm -hmm. that are there yeah. for the dog um right. will go well can, can go a long way to mm -hmm. um to understanding why they do what they do um, and then if you're getting a dog with those um, with those built-in drives, then having a plan on how to meet those needs. Because if it, if the dog can't have, meet those needs, then that's when you get that, that maladaptive behaviour and mm. behaviour coming out in ways that we don't want. No. 
as well. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, you know, the herding dog is herding dogs at the dog park mm-hmm. and another or dog takes children. offense of it and then they get attacked and yes. then you end up with behavior issues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's knowing what they're getting into as best they can. Sometimes sometimes you don't know, especially <laughs> if you're getting a rescue dog or a shelter dog, no. you're not sure what, um, what you're getting. So it's always important to look at the dog in front of you. Um and read their behaviour as well. Because you'll get border collies. They will sleep all day on the couch. Mm. Um, there's not many of them, but they are mm. out there. Um, so other thing I was going to ask, though, before we close is, shall people have, I don't know how is on the RSPC at mm. the moment, if people want to consider a dog, do they have like a trial period? Because what I find is sometimes people could fall in love straight away and if, say, it wasn't a suitable match, they just don't want to let it go. But it's better. Obviously, they could consider, well, we're going to have a good trial, have mm. a good go, but need to be open. It might not suit us, you know. Like it can happen, yeah. and not get stuck with, you know what I mean? Like absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, certainly when we have dogs in the shelter, um, if we haven't had foster carers available mm-hmm. for them, we might not know how that dog is when they go yeah. out to a home, for example. So um, yeah, and they might behave completely differently and have behaviors come out that we had no idea we're, we're going to be there so yes i think always being open to that we do have a lot of like post adoption support available mm-hmm. as well which is great um and yeah and if dogs are returned then we work with them as well mm-hmm. um yeah but we're always trying to like when you come to adopt a dog or is looking at like which dog's going to be a good match for yes. you as well with the knowledge that we have of them yeah. um yeah, and then hopefully, yeah, if they have been able to go out to foster carers and things yes, like that as well, hopefully. so 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 we it's can get that, that behavior and that's it, behavior info circle. So thanks so much, Yara. Did you enjoy doing? It was a lot of chat and banter, oh, isn't it? Why not? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Love talking about dogs. Yeah, do me day, too. So. That's why I do this <laughs> podcast. So uh, we've reached the end of the show, and thank you for listening to our podcast. Zoom is today. So I will be closing now, and have a wonderful weekend with your dogs. Take them out and about, and have fun. Okay, they are part of the family. Okay, see you next time and bye.